0: Broadcasting live across the great state of Montana, powered by the Montana Electric Cooperative Association. Your Montana Electric Cooperative. They do much more than keep the lights on for you. This is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint.
1: Well, here we are. We're in the middle of the holiday season, so we thought, what the heck? Let's go down, catch up with some good friends, have a cigar. We're hanging out at the Summit Cigar Lounge in Billings. In fact, we were, we were hanging out here a, oh, several months ago, maybe a year ago now, and it was it was Greg Franks, the proprietor of the Summit Cigar Lounge, uh, Scobie, Montana's own uh, former state senator, John Brennan, we were sitting here and they were telling all these stories from the 70s, the 80s and really some incredible Montana history and talking Montana politics. And we we're like, man, we got to share this uh, with the rest of the state because this is really some some interesting stuff. And so uh, State Senator John Brennan, former state senator out of Scobie, it, it's great to see you when I think of uh, before we get into, you know, uh, some of the, the big Montana political history here. When I think of Scobie, Montana, whenever I'm up in Scobie or Plentywood, I feel like I'm on the top of the world. How do you describe – you're a longtime farmer and, and legislator out of that area. How do you describe Scobie to your friends elsewhere across Montana, elsewhere across the country?
2: Well, I just tell people that I said uh, if half the people uh, stayed, that left Scoby had stayed in Scoby, we'd, we'd be bigger than New York City. Uh, but I tell you what, Scobie is the most remote place in America. From anywhere. Now, Glasgow has claimed it, but we're even further north and east than Glasgow. Glasgow's the, the big city up there. Are you kidding yeah, me? I Las- I mean, at well, least that's what well, we thought uh, of. When I it, was a kid, kid, said that Glasgow, well, <laughs> yeah. Scobie's more remote than, and of course, it's only about a third of the size of Glasgow. But but the point is, going up there, graduating high school, being in business all my life, I had four tire stores in North Dakota and Montana. You know, you know everybody, and it's always been, uh, uh, when I was a kid, I suppose we had about 3,000 people in Daniels County. And now there's probably a little under 2000. But I'll tell you, it's a very progressive town in the sense of they don't like government, basically. And they understand how government moves. And that is a backwards of a turtle race. And so when they want a school, they want a, a, a new fire department when they want to do that. They go out and raise the money themselves. But they make it happen. Yeah. I don't know when they were building the new swimming pool in the radio station. Yeah, we, we raised a million yeah, and a half dollars we raised in about a year for a new swimming pool. And uh, it's the art of the place now, you know, and, and they've held a lot of state meets up there. But people just go put their money where their mouth is. And we have this little KCGM radio station up there. It's a labor of love. Right I'm true. on the board of directors, and I will tell you that we've had radio towns. We've raised millions and millions of dollars for every uh, hospital and school and fire department and ambulance and what have you. Because if we'd have waited for it coming from the government, we'd have never gotten it, and we'd be all dead by the time it got there. <laughs> but that—that's shows you Scobie and, But Scobie is suffering uh, like all these other little rural towns. We—we we, uh, don't have an automobile dealer there anymore, and uh, to be honestly, we don't. We—we we don't have a, a clothing store there anymore, and so. But that's not. We're not immune from that just because we're Scobie. But that's the fight. But people are pretty loyal to Scobie and and to their sports. Uh, <laughs> they're really loyal. And Scope done its fair share of doing very well in, in basketball and football over the years. Yeah, you yeah, yeah, asked like, yes, that question. Greg Franks, yes, how that, do
0: you describe well, it, you know, I say it's a lot like Weebo, but with more football uh, championships. Uh, my <laughs> wife's, of course, from Weebo. I say she's, well, she's from back east. People think she's from New York, but no, she's from Weebo. And uh, John and I have often joked, and we've had some bets on uh, on who would win these statewide championships between the two teams. We know who will be sleeping on the couch tonight, then, after that. Decade. Yeah, uh, Weebo football you. joke. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hold that thought more with uh, Greg Franks and uh, State
0: Senator John Brennan after this. News Talk 970 and 103.3 FM KBUL, your home for Fox News, Hannity, Bungino, and Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. Broadcasting live across the great state of Montana, this is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint.
1: Aaron Flint here. We're at the Summit Cigar Lounge in Billings. and Join a cigar with Greg Franks, the proprietor of the lounge here. And kind of, a you know, have been involved in Montana politics since he was a kid back in the 80s and 90s. So it's fun catching up with Greg. We've also got former state senator John Brennan, a former chairman of the Montana Republican Party here with us. Uh, John, I was going to start next by saying, who is Frank Whetstone? But let's hold that thought for a second. Since we were talking about Scobie, Montana, you know, back in the day, when we had two members of the House of Representatives, Ron Marlineet Scoby, Montana, was the congressman for eastern montana and and then you had a Western congressional district. Then for a while, we only had one member of Congress now we 're back to having two we 've got an Eastern district and a western district how does How does somebody from Scoby, Montana survive a crowded primary field that could potentially happen again in two thousand and twenty four for that Eastern district, depending on what chips may fall and in the, in the weeks and months ahead. How does a guy from Scobie, Montana become the congressman for Eastern Montana? Well,
2: I'll tell you, Ron had been active in in stock growers and, and he'd helped Tim Babcock in his races. And so the Marlonese and the Brendans we were the, uh, us boys, we were the real close friends all our lives. And uh, so one day Ron and I had done a lot of Republican stuff up in northeastern Montana, and Ron said, well, I'm thinking of running for uh, uh, Congress because we all figured that Meltzer was going to jump into that center race. And anyway, uh, I said, well, funny, Ron. I said, "Uh, I was too, but I was half joking. And he said, you were? And I said, no, no, I'm kidding. He said, no, I think I'm going to do it. Well, I said, "Uh, you... uh, Jump in there and run, and uh, I'll I'll, uh, be chairman of your campaign. So there were four others. Uh, Kitchenberg was one of them. Oh, out of Glasgow. Out of Glasgow. There was uh, five in the primary, including – and you had a local attorney here. I can't think of his name. This was 1976? Yes, 1976. And there were five in the primary. Well, I'll tell you exactly how we won. Uh Scobie turned out with some young and old people and all the connections that we've had uh, from people that lived in other places and moved to other places in the parts of Montana that Ron was running in, in eastern Montana, and we covered the ground. We were at every coffee shop and, and store and grocery store shaking hands and what have you, and if Ron wasn't at one place, we'd be at the other place, and, and that's how he won, because the, the thinking back then even was – you got to be from the big town of Billings
1: or something if you really want to win a crowded primary field running for an Eastern Montana. Well, Billings
2: uh, Billings was uh, what this – I can't think of his I name. I can't think, think
0: of his name either. It wasn't anyway, Ramirez, was not it? Huh?
2: it wasn't Ramirez. No, no, it wasn't Jack Ramirez. Uh, but anyway, the thinking was that he had hands down to do that. But uh, he was a very nice fellow and uh but Don't give Ron too much credit but we just <laughs> uh, but we just uh we just covered our bases and ran and and the whole deal the press was Ron who? Mm-hmm. Who is Ron? Ron, or it was Ron? Ron Marlini. But but the people out on Main Street knew who,
1: yeah, because he hit the ground running. And, yeah, and you're right; those those tentacles and those connections from small town Montana they reach deep into the big towns as well. Oh, uh, there's a lot of people from Eastern Montana, Northeastern Montana that are here in Yellowstone. Well, in I, I say Billings is a big town f- filled full of small town people, and uh, that's what makes Billings so great. Is that you get all these small town Highline folks and Eastern Montana folks that they, you know maybe maybe their brother took over the ranch or or well, their sister took over the small business so they had to go somewhere and so they came here. Greg Franks, uh, let me finish. Yeah, just hey, hey, one go thing. ahead.
2: Yeah. So when Ron won that race in the primary, the first thing we did, we got the candidates together and they all came together and supported Ron in in, in the press and in what have you. They all supported Ron. We are supporting Ron. Now I it, you know, it you when you get into a race you want to win. And it's hard losing. Anybody that says it's easy losing doesn't <laughs> tell him the truth. But the point is, the point is they got together and they were all coalesced behind Ron. Well, that makes a big difference. And then, of course, uh, we were running against three. There were p- three primaries. And Tommy Tao from Billings won that race. Well, I served, so he was the Democrat. He was a Democrat. And race. I served with Tommy Tao in the in the 93 session. And, uh, of course, uh, he was very liberal, uh, still is very liberal. Thank you, Tommy. I hope you hear this. <laughs> <He's> <laughs>
1: well, a, he lives in my neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, I've talked to Tom over the years, very influential, uh, at least in the old school Montana Democrat politics. He's the reason why we got the so coal severance tax. He created the coal severance tax. Oh, I know uh, that, yeah.
2: and uh, that hurt Montana
1: compared to Wyoming and North Dakota. But even the Yellowstone County Democrats are not the, the, the older school Tom Tao style Democrats anymore. They're, they're becoming more closely like the D, DSA style Missoula Democrats. Greg, Franks, the, the reason why I think this is interesting to look back at how does a guy like Ron Marlin a, out of Scobie, Montana, win a crowded primary field in the 1976 primary back when we had two seats in Congress, you know, back in the 80s and then up till, till the early 90s, is because who knows what can happen as we head into 2024. Uh, Congressman Rosendale may decide to, to stay in the House of Representatives and keep the fight there, um, or he may decide to jump into a, a Republican Senate primary. And if that happens, you know as well as I do, everybody and their mother, a dozen plus people might be jumping into
0: that primary. It's going to be very uh, – cumbersome. Well, For one thing, because of Matt's latency as far as making a decision as to which is he going to run for the Senate, is he going to stay in the House, he's creating a real logjam within the uh, normal political process of allowing people to fundraise and to collect the resources that's needed. And so he's shortening their window to be competitive in the primary, which you know, you you get desperate candidates that can do desperate things, and you can sit there and look at a lot of of potential for chaos. As I mentioned in in the last hours, you're pulling people out of races that are secure races, and we we can talk about this later, but a competitive primary is healthy. But when it's not really necessary, and you know, we'll see where Matt's at with his fundraising into this quarter, if he's going to be competitive at all, regardless.
1: Yeah. Bottom line is, you know, uh, John talked about in '76, everybody came together, supported the eventual candidate. Could you get so much division, so much divisiveness that it creates a lot of party infighting? And, and uh, anyway, we'll talk more uh, right after this. Plus, we'll get. Who is Zoe Zephyr, the radical transgender lawmaker from Missoula, Montana, who cheered on the transurrection attacking the Montana House of Representatives? Aaron Flint here with Montana Talks. That story uh, clearly, by far, the number one story based on Montana page views for 2023. We compiled the top 23 stories for 2023 here in Montana. Go to MontanaTalks.com. You can see that story, the full list, and much more.
0: Talking about the issues that matter to Montana statewide, this is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint.
1: All right, Montana Talks here uh, with uh, State Senator John Brennan, former state senator out of SCOBY, Montana, former chairman of the Montana GOP, Greg Franks, who actually worked for Ron Marlin. And back. You started when you were still a teenager, I think, right, uh, Greg?
0: Yeah. Uh, did did uh, volunteer work for Ron and Conrad and Mark Roscoe and those guys in the 88 elections? And... Uh, uh, opportunity to go to the Republican National Convention in 88 really got my uh, my uh, t- uh, spurs into it uh, back then, and uh, I've been involved ever since. Well, you know, I, I want to talk more about a potential
1: 2024 Eastern Montana, Eastern District Congressional Primary, and, and you know, kind of uh, look back at the 1976 Eastern District Primary, but let's hold on to that f- for just a moment here, because uh, I, I want to get to this uh, Greg, why don't you give us what you recall first? Because I, I I know uh, John probably knew Frank Whetstone, you know, in a little more more depth. But I like the way that when you first told us about Frank Whetstone and his story and the significance of his role in really the the Western Revolution, the Reagan Western
0: Revolution. How, it, it how do it you kind describe tie, of, Frank Whetstone? I'm sorry, to step on you, but it, it kind of it kind of ties into that 76 election with uh, with Mans, Mansfield being appointed to ambassador to Japan. Yeah. And, uh, and um, like Metcalf, not Metcalf, um, M- Melcher. Melcher, 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 that's right, yeah. sorry. And Melcher jumping into the uh, Senate race had opened up that Eastern Congressional District. And uh, so fast forward a little bit, or rewind, let's rewind a little bit. Go back into 1968 when there was uh, a presidential primary. There's a group of people across the western U.S. that started recruiting Ronald Reagan to run for president. And uh, they put forth an effort. They tried to get him here sitting governor of California. Uh, it wasn't a very big effort from what my, my history tells me on it, but they did make a motion. And they figured, well, let him finish up his term as governor and we'll continue. We'll start working on it. Well, Nixon ended up winning in 68. And uh, so that removed 68 72. But this organization was organizing throughout the Western United States. County by county, precinct by precinct, and, and Frank Whetstone was one of the leading chargers of that of that thing. And Frank Whetstone is a guy from the Shelby, Shelby
2: bank. Montana. He was it. the owner of the paper there. at Cutbank. Is that Frank the goes. Pioneer Press, yes. am I remember right right? I okay. think it's the Pioneer Press, yeah. And Frank, in his own way, could be a very controversial guy. So Frank Whetstone,
1: newspaper uh, owner in Cutbank, Montana. So kind of, uh, you know, Highline of Montana, Shelby Cut Bank, the, the golden triangle, part of the, the triad up there, if mm-hmm. you want to say, right? So Frank, so what do you remember about Frank so, Whetstone?
0: So I was at a Jackpray, which we talked about last hour. Um, and I'm hanging out there. It's on a Sunday afternoon. I'm talking with uh, Larry Anderson, Dave Bliss, and um, we're, we're visiting about, you know, the history of this. I, I don't know if I was asking the questions, it's, it's been many years ago, but, uh, Dave and Larry start telling the story about, uh, you know, Frank worked his tail off getting Reagan elected. And they, they, they had a uh, contested primary in 76 against Ford. And they came really close to challenging the sitting president. There was talk about Reagan being his running mate and vice versa and stuff. They ended up not having the votes uh, and, and they receded back. Well, they continued to continue to go back to work. And like I said, they organized county by county, precinct by precinct. The moral majority were playing credit for Reagan's victory. But these guys were the boots on the ground. They were the guys, the statisticians, the people that were organizing, getting people involved in the party. They were the ground army campaign. And, and they, they the organized, And Frank organized the entire Western U.S. And, in fact, Frank would travel all over the place. He'd fly to California, land at the airport there. Guess who would pick him up at the airport? John Wayne or Jimmy Stewart. And, I mean, Frank's influence was tremendous. Well, of course, Reagan ends up winning in 1980. And to uh, one of the rewards you get for working in a presidential campaign is sometimes you get asked to be on the transition committee. And that's a very valuable position because that allows you to choose who's appointed where, who gets to be in this position, who gets to do this, who gets to do that. And um, so Frank's on this transition committee. While there's a little known former Montana senator that wanted to be reappointed back to the ambassador to Japan, who did he have to go through? You had to go through Frank Wedstone, so I wasn't there, of course. But I picture this room; it's a dark room. Frank, and hold, what...
1: hold that thought for just a second. So we got a lot of newcomers to to Montana politics, or maybe people who just don't know the history of all this. So. Mike Mansfield, a huge force in Montana political history, uh, very well respected both sides of the aisle. He he becomes the Senate Majority Leader. There's still There's a Senate
0: state, Majority Leader for during Kennedy. Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah. He huge. he helped. He along with Republican Everett McKinley Dirk, uh, Dirksen ushered in the Civil Rights Law. Those two together got civil rights uh, through through the United States Senate. Uh, and he becomes ambassador to Japan. And you'll talk more about that. But he was the Senate Majority Leader. Uh, he was a World War II veteran. Uh, a professor at the University of Montana, uh, I mean, just a, a huge, huge amount of
0: influence in politics huge in Huge force in
1: Montana politics. And the money
0: that he would be able to get to come in to fight against Republican causes was I mean, almost insurmountable because we didn't have any elected office officers really statewide, nationwide, uh, that could, or statewide that could be competitive. So if
1: you wanted to turn the state red, uh, you had to figure out how, how do we build a, a new organization uh, given the tremendous influence of, of a Mike Mansfield back
0: in the day. Thank, thank you for going back on the history on this. I, I forget sometimes, not everybody knows. but So th- there you are in this room, and, uh, and evidently Larry Anderson and Dave Bliss were sitting there. Uh, and this little old Montana senator, Mike Mansfield, comes in and wants to be reappointed to ambassador to Japan. And Frank had the wherewithal, just looks, looking straight in the eye and say, we'll reappoint you to ambassador to Japan under one circumstance. And he says, what's that? He says that you have nothing to do with Montana politics from this day forward. And I believe that's one of the things that helped set the stage for the victories, the huge victories and the opportunities that John was able to put forward uh, for the victories in 88 with Conrad, Mark Roscoe, Stan Stevens, uh, Andy Bennett. And and you just go through that list. And and I think that's really because before that, Montana was a 42-38 Democrat-Republican state. And it shifted, almost flipped by 92. It's a 42-38 Republican state. And I think we've been growing those majorities since. Well, and I know, I know, you know, since I worked for for former Senator Conrad
1: Burns, who was a Republican senator elected in 1988 in that big, you know, that big election year of 88, there was huge respect for Mike Mansfield, his chief of staff, Mr. Kemet. I remember getting a chance to meet him. And when he would when he would come into the office, it was kind of like everybody pay your respects because there was a great respect there for for that, for 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 Mansfield and, and Montana and his team. Right. And. And you could, you could have that kind of – well, you think you can still have that kind of respect. John Brennan, you and Jimmy Keene, a Democrat out of Butte, you a Republican out of Scobie. You guys had that same type of respect in relationship to get things done for Montana. Um, so, so Frank Whetstone, from, from your view, who is Frank Whetstone, this guy who owned a newspaper in Cutbank, Montana, that organizes the ground campaign for the Reagan revolution? This guy shows up in L.A., gets picked up at the airport by John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart. I mean that's crazy. Well, I
2: tell you what, it just shows you the the strength of the tenacity of people in Montana, especially rural people, because cut bank compared to Billings is nothing in the size of population. And it just, like I said earlier before, if you just stay in there and, and work, you know, ants get a lot done because they never quit uh, working. And that's the way it is in business or politics. And Frank Whetstone was in Cut Bank. It was very controversial. My sister and my brother-in-law were in Cut Bank at the time. My uh, brother-in-law was a Lutheran pastor there. <laughs> he was quite a character, Rusty Hallis, and uh, he and Frank would uh, cross each other every now and then. Russell would say something that uh, got uh, Frank's dander up, and uh, <laughs> they would go at it uh, uh, in a in a friendly way. But but uh, he was very uh, uh, Frank very strong-minded uh, and like uh, Greg said they put together over the years this cadre of people throughout the West and and so it was no surprise and of course they tried to get Ronald Reagan elected in 1976 and they yes. fell short in that election and I I will tell you uh, Frank and that cadre the people and and from Montana they did a great job in putting Ronald Reagan, and as far as I'm concerned, Ronald Reagan was the best president I've ever known. He had the the wit and the tenacity to uh, just get things done, and he was a good friend of the Speaker of the House, uh, Tip O'Neill, and he had that smile on his face. Of course, he was an actor, and he knew how to uh, laugh at himself and be in the public, and, uh, you know, and and he never f- forgot his friends either. I always
1: remember seeing, I don't know where it was on the high line or if I—if my memory serves me right or not here. But I, for some reason as a kid, I remember seeing a big billboard of President Reagan somewhere on the high line back in the 80s. And it was him with that cowboy hat on and, like you say, that beaming smile. And, and when you saw uh, President Reagan, you saw American Optimism. You saw American patriotism and a love for this country and a love for the West and a love for, for the American rancher and for agriculture.
2: Yeah, there's no question about it. And and, and like I say, Frank and his group, Dave Bliss, uh, Larry Anderson, uh, Tilly Pierce uh, from here, Billings, and, and Joe this, Boyd. Joe Boyd, and several others have been very active in that. And and the, the, the fact is that uh, God bless him for that. Uh, but there was always a little rivalry between the Marlene bunch, because Marlene was the only one elected. Before that, and now Marlene had the power to appoint judges and not the Reagan Whetstone bunch, and then you had the party. So there was a little behind the scenes kind of rivalry. Oh, there, there. Was, there was a rivalry, and, and of course, uh, uh, but I think that's there's always that in business and politics anyway, if you can keep it uh, under control. And so it worked uh, well, and now the story I've heard is why. Frank exited early from the uh, Reagan. Frank would come around, and he was, if you if liked to, he was jovial, and he was a big guy, and he'd <laughs> grab you around the neck and say, John, it's good to see you, and what have you. <laughs> well, he did that to the President Reagan in the public one time. Oh. And I'm, I've am i heard the story that that's why his exit was Oh, really? Because, yeah. They didn't like that they called the President now, Ronnie or Ron? Or, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and that was, now, that's the story I've heard. I wasn't there. Sure. Yeah, I don't
0: yeah. <laughs> I let don't let, disbelieve let, it. Either. Let me continue on that line, John. You know, Actually, I, let, I was, hold no, on. Let, let me fin- let us okay, finish. We got less than a minute. Yeah, so, yeah. so I I got started at the end of Frank's life, and so I would go back to DC, and I would drop Frank Wedstone's name, and you would be amazed. Even the '90s, how many doors that opened up just by knowing that name. Well, heck, just just saying you're from Montana can open doors. I mean, I even
1: saw that in the early 2000s. That's how I got into the, the top floor of uh, Rockefeller Center. You know, I said, "Hey, I'm just from Montana. I just wanted to, you know, check in and said you're from Montana, and the doors just open." All right, hold that thought. Uh, we got a lot more to talk about right after uh, this.
0: This is where Montana talks egg with Lane Nordland. and happy New Year. USDA's National Ag Statistics Service will release the 2022 Census of Agriculture here early in 2024. At least once every five years, the updated census will provide valuable insight into various agricultural data points. John Prusecki of the National Ag Statistics Service explains how USDA Census of Ag captures changes in the farm sector. My first sense of agriculture with U.S.D. NAS was in 1997. Things have changed dramatically in the world of agriculture since then and then that census you can track it through and see what's going on county by county to see what's happening and there's a lot of people other than I use the word ag I'm air quoting ag people that look at the census. Somebody says oh hey I'm not a farmer but you know it does impact you because the census has data in there that industry folks they'll look at and they'll say you know what based on these information it it looks like maybe there's a bunch of small farms coming into this particular area, this particular county, maybe we'll put a story in here. Well, what does that do? It brings jobs, it brings tax money to your local area, so it does help. Farm operations of all sizes, urban and rural, which produced and sold or normally would have sold a $1,000 or more agricultural product in 2022 are included in the Ag Census. Again, that new report is due out here in just a few days. I'm my North Blonde. <laughs> Montana is talking here. This is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint.
1: Aaron Flint here with Montana Talks. Yeah, we're hanging out at the uh, Summit Cigar Lounge in Billings, catching up with some great friends here, talking Montana history, talking Montana politics. Greg Franks, uh, I was thinking, man, you were you were telling this story, and we got State Senator John Brennan, former State Senator out of Scopey with us here. In fact, uh, John was telling us he he was the chairman of the Montana delegation in '84 when Reagan got nominated when he was running for re-election. So that's another another cool feather in his hat as well. But, but Greg, you were telling the story about Mike Mansfield and Frank Whetstone and getting re-nominated as ambassador to Japan. I wonder if that story's ever been recorded in print or if any of the biographers have ever even captured that I, story. I,
0: I, I tease the idea um, that, you know, there should be a real, the real Reagan revolution talking about that, that ground war that was put together, I mean, with... Uh, Rollins and, and Charlie Black and all those guys that really worked hard uh, for years and years trying to put that organization together. That most of them didn't get a lot of credit for. I mean, you'd have guys like Jerry Falwell and the Moral Majority and those guys taking credit for it, but it was really the the boots on the ground and the, the people that were doing the work that did the organization to get that done.
1: And that's with anything. Well, and I was thinking about this too, uh, John Brennan. You know, you you look at people that were big movers and shakers, and really, you know what? At the end of the day. He, there's a lot of people who couldn't even tell you who the governor was 8 years ago maybe not even the governor today or the governor 20 30 years ago the, the reality is we're all going to be forgotten eventually but our kids and our grandkids are going to see the fruits of the
2: work we do or don't do here yeah that's yeah. right and and you know another person that stayed in there all of his life is ed rollins Well, yeah. you'll, you'll see ed rollins on tv every now and then yeah he's uh, i don't think he's supporting Trump. He's, I don't think he is this time either. I think he was on DeSantis' side. I, I think he's supporting somebody else, but yeah. I, I don't remember who it was. But Ed Rollins has been in there. I know Charlie Black and Ed Rollins. Those are all when I was chairman of the party from 1980 on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, well, and, you know, you look at Reagan and and how long he had built up his presidential
1: campaign. A lot of people think this stuff think this stuff just happens overnight. And and Reagan, it took several years before he finally became president. Look at the Carter years; he ended up pulling us out of. And we're we're in uh, worse than the Carter years right now. I think a lot of people really believe on several fronts. But Greg, Franks, I want to go back to. So here you are. Let's fast forward to the 1990s. Now, you know, you're like what 24 years old, and and now, okay, so um, now we're looking at okay, so so George H. W. Bush loses to Bill Clinton. And then you end up becoming the state chairman for Phil Graham's presidential campaign. Well, that, that's right. an
0: interesting story. So, um, I, Conrad's uh, office called me once, and there was a field budget hearing uh, that when the Republicans took over control of Congress in '95 that they're doing here in, in Montana and uh, asked if I'd help do the um, advance and the prep work, be the local guy, could, since Conrad didn't have a local guy on the ground that could do that. And of course, I volunteered to do it, and I got to know some. People within the Kasich organization, because he was House Budget Committee Chairman back in the '90s, he, he, you know that's one of the reasons why John and I became friends. Is he's the only guy in my lifetime that ever fa- balanced a federal budget. Yeah. It was his budget that he proposed. To John Kasich and, and Duke
1: Gingrich. When I was a kid in the 1990s, man, they they
0: delivered. But yeah. John John became a good friend. I got to know another uh, guy that did uh, a lot of advance work, a lot of stuff for the Reagan administration, and Doug and I hit it off. And and Doug. Uh, Doug suggested you should get involved in presidential politics, and Marlon had encouraged me to get involved for it, too, because there's a brief moment where Cheney was looking at running, and uh, Ron wanted to be his kind of body man, his driver, the guy that kind of did it, and he did some things, but uh, Cheney never did that. So um, after this budget hearing stuff, I decided to fly back to D.C. This is in 95, and uh, the two candidates that were running was uh, uh, Bob Dole and and, and, um, Phil Graham were the two main candidates. Well, I, I interviewed with both of their campaigns, not for jobs, but to kind of get to know who they are. And the people that were working for Dole were working for him because they thought he was going to win. But the people that were working for mm-hmm. Phil Graham, big budget hawk, uh, were working for him because they believed in what he was fighting for. What he wanted to do. And you got to know a guy, who's this Texas guy, Fred? Uh, Fred Meyer. Fred Meyer was Victory 84, a state party chairman of Texas. John knows him well. Uh, great guy. Victory 84 for Reagan, Victory 88 for uh, uh, Bush, uh, Victory 2000 for uh, Bush W., and uh fred fred is a stalwart man he, he this this guy knew politics he, he he did things and so i ended up deciding to support the phil graham campaign and the state uh, convention was coming up in kalispell and uh so fred flew in because we had to find state chairman for the party and so i brought in all these state legislators and state senators and people and and made these arrangements for fred to interview them and going back to the airport um driving back and 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 Fred says, I said, so did you decide who you want to pick? He goes, yeah, we did. I said, so which one is it? He says, well, I think we're going to choose you. (laughs) I'm 24 years old, being asked to be state party chairman, and and tying it into the Frank Wedstone story, is I end up going back that fall to the state chairman's meetings in Washington, D.C., and here I'm a 24-year-old kid, don't have any money, don't have anything, and some guy from South Carolina says, what kind of budget they got for you in Montana? I said, me and about the size of my checkbook, because they don't have a budget for Montana. (laughs) But anyway, uh, Frank Whetstone had passed away the week before and I'd already committed to going to this uh, convention, to this uh, state chairman's meetings. And from across the room, Charlie Black beelines over to me. And the first thing he says is, I'm sorry to hear about Frank. And it was amazing the doors that that name still opened. You, they knew you're from Montana. They knew you're Reagan conservative. They knew you're part of that Jack Pine crew. That was all it took. And you were in. And they would do what they could to help you out. And it... And you know that that was a that was a big opening for me getting involved in national politics. A lot of people don't, in the state don't know how what I've done, and that that's okay but it, it, you know it, it's, it's on the back of the work that guys like John and frank and, and yeah and, and, well, and I, Bliss. was <clears>
2: the <throat> I got to know uh, Senator Phil Graham, you know he started out as a Democrat he did he was a congressman he switched parties and he switched parties and then the- uh, he did the most honorable thing he could do. He resigned from Congress. And we ran, and he ran as a Republican. Now you don't see that happening very often in politics. Never. Usually, if they switch politics, they just keep their seat and switch sides of the aisle to be on. Uh, but uh, Phil Graham was a was a giant of a guy, uh, and I I I was a great friend of. I haven't seen him for a long, long time, but uh, well, you talk of, you talk about Phil Graham
1: being a former Democrat who switched Republican. A lot of a lot of people in your neck of the woods in Northeast Montana. at the one point there was the Red Corner of
2: Northeast Montana. Boy, yeah, well, the uh, commun- so, communist capital of of the United States was in Plentywood. That's right. And there's a great book, The Red Corner, written
1: by a, a Plentywood, Montana. Her, her maiden name
2: was Stoner. That's right. She uh, uh farm, farm uh, family. Taught at Berea College in Kentucky. Yeah. And uh, we know the Stoner family very, very well. Yeah, good folks, and uh, yeah, I think uh, 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 yeah, Gordon
1: became the head of the grain growers, yeah. and and yeah, yeah still involved uh, the family. And but uh, but that's but the point being is that there was a time that your neck of the woods was FDR Democrats, and Ronald Reagan brought them over, and and in places like Great Falls, Montana, that still hadn't fully crossed over from being FDR Democrats under the Reagan years, Donald Trump brought them over now. And Republicans have now swept nearly every major office in Montana except for that U.S. Senate seat held well, by Liberal Senator I John will, Tester. Uh,
2: just a little correction there. Okay. Yeah. The guy that started out as a Democrat was Big Ed Smith. Oh, um, Big Ed. Oh, Big Ed. Big Ed was a Democrat. Really? Okay. And uh, he was His very well-liked. The snowmobile right. guy, right? Was a glass. Or is this a different Big Ed? Big Ed Smith. Uh, this is a different a state, state senator. senator. Oh, yeah. senator. Yeah. Yeah, that's from Glasgow, twenty some years. Yeah. No, no, he's from Dagmar area. Okay, Med- you know better light. than me. Anyway, <clears throat> he started out as a Democrat. Got to be a House of Representatives, and he was a great baseball pitcher, great athlete, and tall. You know, he's about big six, man. six foot six, and his kids are bigger than him. Uh, Rod is about six five, and the one that just passed away was a little over seven foot tall. But Ed Smith was very, very very well liked in our community in northeastern Montana, turned Republican. And that, I think, was really the great turning point in northeastern Montana mm. when, when it, it started going. Because before that, it had been pretty much FDR, Farmers Union Democrat. Mm-hmm. But uh, I give credit to Ed Smith. And there was another guy that always had a smile on his face. And if you go up and, and go to these reunions... Uh, when we honor the uh, people that have passed away, and we'll get a lot of those uh, people that served us in the legislature as kids, you know, for pages. When when Ed Smith would come up, and here would be 60-year-old grandmothers coming up and hugging Ed Smith. He treated people, it didn't matter, Democrat, Republican, Independent, Catholic, Lutheran, Jew, it didn't matter. He treated them as equals, and they were all one. And that really made, I think, the start of the big changeover in northeastern
1: Montana. Yeah, about one minute to go here. But we were talking just for this segment, then we'll talk more after this. But, you know, we were talking about the 1976 primary. How does a guy from Scobie, Montana, Ron Marlinae, win this crowded Republican field? We could see that same thing play out. I mean, there's still a chance that Congressman Rosendale may decide to stay and fight in the House. But he's giving every indication that he would jump into the Senate race where Navy SEAL veteran Tim C. is already funding several. I mean, he's already in the fight, uh, taking a fight to test her with, you know, campaign commercials and much more. But, but that will lead to a very crowded Republican primary field. And, and, there, and you know, primaries, Greg, you've talked about this before, where, where primaries can be, can be fun. They can add more excitement. And if everybody comes together afterwards, it can really help. But, but when it comes to a potential U.S. House primary for the Eastern District, which is a very safe uh, Republican district, right now the Western District uh, is the, the Democrats gerrymandered the Western congressional seat. Zinke still won and pulled it off, and I think he'll do so again. But the Eastern District is so safe Republican that now a dozen-plus Republicans want to run for that seat if it comes open. Greg, I can see you chomping at the bit. Hold that that thought, and we'll we'll get your thought here right after this and then get uh, Senator Brennan's thoughts as well before we wrap
0: up. Broadcasting live across the great state of Montana, powered by the Montana Electric Cooperative Association. Your Montana Electric Cooperative, they do much more than keep the lights on for you. This is Montana Talks
1: with Aaron Flint. All right, Greg Franks, you were chomping at the bit. I was kind of teeing up
0: for the Western Congressional seat, the Eastern Congressional seat. What were you chomping at the bit to share? I really don't think that the congressional race is really going to be what's up for grabs. I think with the plus 15 that the Republicans have in that Eastern District, I think whoever the nominee is, we got some great people. The Republicans can, will win. Yeah, they're, nope, they're probably going to win. My, my worry is down ticket and the, the vacuum that it creates within the party opening up uh, land board seats like the auditor's position if Troy decides to stay in the House race and, and state legislative races that should be solid Republicans. You don't know what's going to happen in the election process, the candidates you're going to recruit. You know, I'm going to go back to Fred Meyer. He used to be state party chairman of Texas, you know, big dog within the, the, the national poly- political scene. Fred always told me, he says, in an open primary, he always encouraged lots of people to get involved and have it be contested because, he says, that hones a candidate. It, it helps them be a better – it's kind of like a, a pre-fight or a preliminary fight to get, get them ready for, for a battle. And but he was always kind of leaning towards that. Uh, if it's a, if it's an incumbent, not to. I don't, know, I don't know if I necessarily always agree with that statement. But that was Fred's vantage point. But my my concern is, you know, I really wish Matt would make a decision. I wish he would have made a decision back in April. Tell everybody what his intentions are, what he wants to do. Because the way that he's dragging this out, he's creating an incredible logjam within the Republican Party, within the primary process, creating a lot of uncertainty and creating a lot of angst in regards to to what what's going to happen. A lot of division and 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 infighting You know, no, and, so I, and I really like Matt. You know, Matt ideologically, he and I are pretty closely lined. I, 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 I applauded him for the leadership battles stuff that he did. I think that we got some gains for there, but you know. One of the things I, I've told him is, is that, you know, with those types of political risks, you risk political capital. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think Matt's going to have a real difficult time electability-wise. Winning the Senate. Yeah. Winning the Senate race. Because, you know, one thing I, I think that can always be said is, is within the Senate race. I mean, the House race is that we always have chosen ideologues. We don't always, but we normally pick ideologues. Marlenae, um uh, Williams out of the Western District. You've got Reberg. Guys that are hard, Rosendale, guys that are hard fighters that like getting into the scraps. Senate always tends to be we, – we, in Montana particularly, we tend to elect more likable candidates. And I'm not saying Matt's not likable. I'm saying that with the battles he's fought, there's consequences to that, and that might affect his
1: electability. Well, and, and, and Senator Brennan, I'm interested in your take on this too because you know, a lot of the, the folks that I know that are real big fans of, of the work Congressman Rosendale is doing in the House, they want him to stay in the House, stay in the fight in the House and, and – you know, in talking about timelines, I mean, man, uh, we can't wait until June to start having well, right. the fire <clears throat> tester. But, uh, but, but one thing Greg told me about Ron Marlin is Ron would fight, fight, fight to get the most conservative, the most Montana legislation across the finish line. But eventually he knew when to take a deal and to get something across the finish line. Right now, Republicans in Congress, uh, you know, they're too busy fighting and not getting the deal across the finish line is what it's Well,
2: I disagree a little bit with that. I mean, The Biden administration isn't willing to make a deal here. We're talking about the border and what have you. But uh, I think the uh, when I was state chairman of the party, I said uh, the party will not take any uh, sides on a primary unless the person is a felon. or You know what I'm saying like that. A very bad person. And when Ron Marley came out and endorsed me for state Republican chairman, I told him not to do it. I said, that's only going to hurt you, Ron. It's not going to hurt me or help me. But the point is, you're going to have Republicans split on, on, on what your thought process They might like what you say, and they might not like what you say. It'll just make people mad. And I, I think that uh, uh, the people that are taking primary sides before the primary, I, um, I disagree with that. I, I, uh, I think they should stay out. Because in my mind, it only hurts them as yeah. well. But, and uh, it's and it's hard to beat an incumbent. But I that agree. Being said we for this
1: big Senate race, we can't wait till June to start taking the fight. Or or same thing happens. John Tester is back, and, and we get more open borders with it. And and uh, and the Democrats control the Senate, whether we get a Trump or a DeSantis or anybody else in there.
2: Yeah, and well, uh, and and this is a fear that I have. I, I have a fear that this could uh, possibly uh, splinter the Republicans. And if that happens, you'll get Tester back again. And basically, the Republicans elect Tester. And Tester's vote is exactly like Schumer's. I mean, we can't stand Tester. Uh, 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 he never knew where he came from, con- uh, uh, Tester. You know, the three elections that he won, he only won one time against Rehberg in his own county, Shota County. He won by 68 votes in Shota County. The rest of the time, he's lost it. Yeah. Now, if you can't win in your own hometown in your own county, that doesn't say much about you. But you know who elects him? Missoula and those... AOC places. Yeah. So whereas, whereas
1: if Roosevelt were to stay put in the House, he can keep pushing the Republicans to the right in the House, keep fighting the fight there because you can win a safe Republican seat in the East. You can, you can afford to fight your fellow Republicans in a safe Republican Eastern Montana House seat. But you can't fight other Republicans uh, if, if you want to unite moderates and independents that you need to pull off a win.
0: My, my concern Tester. with Matt is right now is that you know, like he, he did stick his neck out. He did fight for conservative causes. But really, had he had the level of support that it would take to win the Senate race, I mean, he would be raising millions of dollars nationally, be flooding in, and he would be a force to reckon with. It. And he doesn't have that money. If the support was there, it would be there. He, and we we know, would be hearing his campaign. Matt, Matt, so Matt, told, seeing his campaign Matt told me after the 2018 election that uh, that uh, he would have won if he wasn't spent 4-1. to one. Well, he's going to get outspent 10 to win this election cycle. Tester's and it, got. This is going to be a $200 million race. And so you need to put forward a candidate that is going to put forward a solid effort and build to put things together for it. And I'm not, you know, I, I've decided to support Tennessee in that primary. I'd like Matt to stay in the house. Uh, well, Greg Frank, Senator John Brennan, uh,
1: I, I know we got to wrap. We are, we are already out of time for this, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Since we're in the middle of the holidays, we're enjoying a cigar. Well, John, John's hanging out, but that's all right. Uh, we're going to keep this conversation going. We're going to wrap for right now, but I'm going to keep this conversation going so we can share uh, down the road uh, a continued conversation on this point. So uh, uh, thanks again for joining us here. Uh, Montana Talks live from the Summit Cigar Lounge.